Hey guys, and welcome to the Deep Bible Studies Podcast, where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I am your host, Claudia Rivera Guevara, and today we will be going through part two of John 6, 41 through 51. So let's get started. Verse 41 says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Six times in this passage, Jesus says that he came from heaven. In John 6, 33, 38, 41, 50, 51, 58. His claim of his heavenly origin is unmistakable, and this was one of the greatest difficulties of Jesus' contemporaries. The Messiah was to arrive, quote-unquote, in the clouds and appear suddenly, but Jesus had quietly grown up among them, and he was born in a manger. On the other hand, the Jews thought that they were all chosen by God just because they were of Jewish birth and descent, but Jesus made it very clear that God must bring them to him before they could come to God. When Jesus talks about the last day, he is referring to the second advent, which is the arrival of a very important or notable person. So that would be the second coming of Christ, the day in which all the children of God would be revealed. And we often feel as if we are directing our relationship with God, but in fact, it is he who calls us and we come to him. This understanding of God's initiative and salvation should make us more aware that we must tell everyone about the gospel, knowing that God is calling his people, and we can hope to see those people believing and repenting and accepting that call from God the Father. As we have said before, even faith is a gift from God himself. It is his work, not ours. We are enabled to trust and believe in Christ apart from God's own empowerment, and he sets us free from the bondage of sin, and this was made available to all, but not all receive. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, which is capitalized. And 2 Timothy 1, 9-10 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So those who don't believe in Christ are perishing. Verse 45 says, It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So as we talked about last week, this was from Isaiah 54, 11 through 14. Uh, which says an emphasis specifically on verse 13. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphire. I will make your pinnacles of a gate and your gates of cavernicles and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. 
In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. It's clear that truth and peace will unify and prevail with righteousness, and God himself will teach his own. All will know true righteousness, and His, which is his righteousness. So Jesus referred to this verse so that the Jews would understand that the prophets not only pointed towards him, but spoke of the importance of drawing near to God in his first advent. Again, the arrival of a very important person as a Messiah and savior of the world for in the second advent, he would raise those who repented, trusted and remained in him which we see in John 15. And I love this quote from John Bunyan, explaining the beauty of learning from God about God with him alone. Read and read again, and do not despair of help to understand the will and the mind of God, though you think they are fast locked up from you. Pray and read, read and pray, for a little from God is better than a great deal from commentaries and expositions. Also, what is from men is uncertain and is often lost and tumbled over by men, but what is from God is fixed as a nail in the sure place. There's nothing that so abides us as what we receive from God, and the reason why the Christian in this day are such at loss as to some things is that they are centered with what comes from men's mouths without searching and kneeling before God to know Him. Things we receive at God's hand come to us as truths from the minting house, through old in themselves, yet new in us. Old truths are always new to us if they come with the smell of heaven upon them. I love this quote because I feel like we try to focus in what we can theologically learn. So we read all the books, we listen to all the sermons, learn all the theological debates, and don't get me wrong, I love doing that. As you can tell, I love theology. It is important and it's very important to listen and read from great teachers such as John MacArthur, Stephen Lawson, John Piper, Paul Washer, Charles Spurgeon, if you speak Spanish, Juan Manuel Vaz, etc, etc, etc. Your local body of believers in your church is very important too, but when we exchange God's own word, prayer, and just quietly remaining in his truth without commentaries and books instead of depending on things like podcasts and other resources, which are just meant to point us to the word of God, not replace it. We tend to just exchange the beautiful, rich encounters by just reading and praying and remaining in God's word as he is teaching us personally. You all, I am beyond guilty of this. For the longest time, I just wanted to learn and learn and learn instead of, as an elder from Providence Church said, love what you know, what you already have learned. It led me to very unbiblical frustration because I didn't know enough. Instead of remaining in God's word every day and allowing him throughout time to teach me, that led me to just go to more commentaries, to go to more expositions, to go to more podcasts and sermons, which again, aren't wrong, but I was replacing it with the word of God. So I started allowing God to teach me. And throughout time, he began to open my eyes to truths that were so unimaginably beautiful. So that's when I began every day. I would just sit and I wouldn't write or take notes. I would just pray and read, read and pray, and going through the whole New Testament, and then began to read it again and began to write old new truths God was teaching me, which is so boring to the world, yet it was the most I had ever learned from God and about him. 
and I loved every second of it, even the ones where I had no clue what the passage meant. And I do love listening to sermons, and I love reading theological books that are filled with truth, biblical truth. I love listening to podcasts. But I pray that I will never again go back to when I exchange man's teaching where God himself guides me and leads me and builds love for me for his word and builds love in me for his word and more for himself. I mean, he died for us. He died for you and me so that you might be declared righteous in his sight and approach him with boldness, not just from the teachings of man, to his gracious throne and draw near to him who draws near to you. Do not waste your life if you spend every second of your life doing what you want with the temporary carnal things you will waste the little time that you have but if your life is spent in the pursuing of god and love for people your little time on this earth will have been spent in the most joyful and meaningful way look to the lord and savior for his life is the very example john macarthur says those taught by god to grasp the truth are also drawn by god the father to embrace the son so let's move on to verse 46 it says not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from god and he has seen the father this connects to the fact that jesus the father and the spirit are one perfect godhead and one trinity in perfect unity and though this is too much to grasp for us god is one in three persons which reminds me of what jesus said in john 10 30 i and the father are one verse 47 then says truly truly i say to you whoever believes has eternal life first believing in him means trusting and depending and holding on to him it is a trusting love and second think about the amazing nature of this claim no other prophet and holy man in the bible ever said such thing only christ has complete authority to grant eternal life to all who trust him and again let's go back to that trusting it's depending on him holding on to him and it's basically neglecting the world you guys every day denying yourself carry a cross and follow him he gave the perfect example of it and he not only gave the example he lived it he is the son he and the father are one i am the bread of life in his repetition he emphasizes that the bread sustains physically our need but that the bread with a capital v that comes down from heaven has brought forth as the messiah and offered eternal life reconciled to god himself and restored to personal relationship to god the next verses say your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died just like we talked about in the verse before this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die i am the living bread that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever and the bread that i will give for the life of the world is my flesh this means that salvation is absolutely possible for all people and like we talked about last episode jesus does not literally mean to eat his flesh as many romans distorted in the early church to persecute christians who were quote-unquote cannibals jesus refers to the bread and wine he gives to his people in the last supper meaning that he would give himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world laying himself down for sinful mankind so let us talk about this why would god not just forgive sinners with a snap 
God does not have arbitrary forgiveness, you guys. That would go against his just character, and he is just. That is of such beauty. We constantly in the Bible see process. There was process to make creation, to form man and woman, and the redemptive plan is just that, a plan done from beginning to end to reveal greater degrees of his glory and being. We see that we sinned, and that in itself tells of man's character. And then death came, and then we needed a perfect sacrifice, which was death as needed. So there was animal sacrifices, but those weren't enough. So there continued the eternal separation from God's presence, and the purging of his wrath is just from him, because we continually kept and keep indulging in these disgusting sins. And just as his justice is so great, his mercy and grace are too. So God himself humbled himself into mankind being fully man, facing the same and worse struggles than we do, while being fully God and having the power to save in all the fullness of his attributes. He came into this world as we all do through birth and he grew up completely innocent and righteous. And this Jesus of Nazareth, he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. So he willingly took our place, bearing the full wrath of God by the hands of his own people, being put through the most humiliating death for only the worst criminals, crucifixion, and dying in a brutal way as if he was the sinner when he did nothing. You all, we hate when people die in unjust ways. When George Floyd died this past spring, we all hated it. We were completely mortified by it, and we grieved how this man was murdered. Yet this was a sinner just like all of us. This grieves God as it does to us. Now imagine a man who knows the most and deepest, grossest parts of our hearts, your worst desires, all of your thoughts, and imagine him being in a court case, this judge telling you that you will get capital punishment because you are guilty, and this man comes and looks at you and tells you that he loves you. And the judge tells you that you can go even though you were guilty because this man will take your place and bear your punishment. This is Jesus. He took your sin and bore it and was crushed by his own father's wrath and it pleased his father because sin is horrible, all sin. And he lived a perfect life and this is very important because you're not seen as innocent when you repent and believe in Christ. You're seen as righteous because now his unblemished life and perfect, not even a touch of sin, is put onto you as if you were the holy one. And he declares you righteous. So when he died, he said it is finished. And that's a very weird thing to say when you died. But he meant that the debt was paid. And Jesus was no mere man. For in accordance with the scriptures, he had a physical resurrection because this sacrifice satisfied God and because he is God himself. So what to do for a man who gave his own life for you? For God who gave his own life for you, who had the worst pain and punishment that you will ever have because of him. You will never have this punishment. Repent, leave your sin and trust in him. Don't think that it's just a little prayer. This is lifelong because this is God-driven. Genuine repentance and faith will lead you to him in such a brokenness over your sin. To remain in him and truly know him for eternity and he loves you, you will not be the same as you were once before. He has saved such lowly sinners. What a God! That is true justice, not just 
hey, I forgive you. No, this is true justice, true love, true liberty, not what the world offers you. And it's not Jesus and. You won't get the riches of the world, most likely not. And you won't get everyone's praise, (laughs) absolutely not. The world hates you. You will be persecuted. So pray and read and read and pray and allow him who started a good work in you to continue it until the last day for he has made you new and he will keep you. Our Lord said that because he is holy and we are to be holy and to be set apart. And when we die and are raised up with Christ, we will be bade and conformed holy to be like him, sanctified until being made holy by him, for him. And this is lifelong. And it's by the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of holies. <laughs> Through the very accessible means the Lord has given us. I mean, it's simple, guys. He does not give methods and weird things to do. He gave us prayer. He gave us his word and fasting. How gracious is he that we are led to greater mortification and hatred of sin and greater love, reverence, fear, and discipline and offer the one, the holy, 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 only holy God that we will be seen face to face one day. You can find more information on our website, www.deepbiblestudies.com, where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. You can also find us on Instagram, at Deep Bible Studies, and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.